we continue our messages from the mountain this morning with uh, uh, a continuing look at the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be going into Matthew chapter 5 beginning at verse 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. If you need a Bible, there's some up here at the front. Come and get one of those. If you don't have a Bible that's in an easy-to-read language for you to understand, take one of these with you. We're, we'd be happy for you to take one of those as our guest. And the words should be on the screen as well. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 38. In this church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard that we have for our faith and for our life. So listen as I read to you from God's word. Matthew 5:38. Jesus said, "You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well." If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Continuing on with verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven." He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How many of you guys here watched your father's shave and you copied it? That's what you did. You learned to shave by watching your father's shave. Okay? I could ask the same question of you ladies. Not your father's. Uh, but how many of you... Because I, I never understood... Mm -mm and mm -mm, But you had to learn that somewhere. Um, how many of you... Pick that up from watching your mothers. Nobody. How do, you, how do ladies learn that? You're just, you're just born with that capacity, I guess? One of the interesting things that I've, I've learned about this scripture as I've looked at it uh, over the past couple of weeks is that we are told to watch what our Heavenly Father is doing and then to do the same ourselves. There, the new teaching for these Israelites for these Jews was, was perplexing to the people of that day. This Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was teaching, where he was turning the world inside out, turning the world upside down. They were hearing it for the first time, and it was really confusing and perplexing to them. And it's still challenging to us today, isn't it? Some of you had a problem with last week's message. Some of you got your toes stepped on, you know? And Jesus was stepping on toes all the time. That's the way he had to teach, to show them a new way. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, 
were being challenged by Jesus' teaching to realize that God doesn't have any favorites. And man, was that confusing for them. For centuries, for millennia, they had heard that they were God's chosen people. What sense does that make? If they're chosen, doesn't that mean that they're God's favorites? I mean, wouldn't that compute in your mind that way? That's the way it certainly computed to them. Uh, Actually, I think a couple of weeks ago we probably answered this even before I asked the question today. You see, Israel wasn't chosen to be God's special people while the rest of the world out there remained in darkness. Israel was chosen to be the light of the world, remember? And the salt of the earth. Israel was chosen so that through Israel, God can bless all the people. Not just the people of Israel, but us. Us. Us Gentiles. And now Jesus is calling Israel to actually be the light of the world. And he's saying, you're going to do this by the way that you act. So how did his kingdom message apply to them back then? And I guess more importantly for you and me, how does his kingdom message apply to us today? Jesus offers a new kind of justice, a creative, a healing, a restorative justice. You see, the old justice was found in the law of Moses. And it was designed to prevent revenge from running completely out of control. He, in essence, said better, uh, better an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth than escalating a feud to the point that you're like the uh, Hatfields and McCoys or the Montagues and the Capulets. Jesus goes one better with them, though. He says better to have no vengeance at all, none at all, but rather a creative way forward a way that reflects the astonishingly patient love of God himself. That's the way he wants us to go forward. Their God, the God who wants Israel to shine his light into the world so that all people will see that he is the one true living God. That's what they were to do. In verses 38 through 42, Jesus gives three pictures, I think, of of what he, you know, ways that he can explain better to the folks what it is that he means. We all learn better with object lessons or with pictures, so he he simply uses three. Actually, he uses four, but I'm going to talk about three of them. The first is being struck on the cheek. And I think today in in our society, when we read this scripture, we think of slapping someone, pow, or, or hitting them in the face with a fist. But in Jesus' day, what uh, striking them on the cheek would mean, would mean to give them the backhand. That's the way that they would do it, with a backhand. Why? Because it was an insult to the people. Not meant so much to hurt the person, 
but to insult them, to say, you're less than me. Get out of here. And the people listening to him understood it that way. Secondly, he says being sued in court was another picture that you could use. Uh, I believe uh, if we used it today, we would say if you were being sued in court and, and, and they said you had to give your shirt up, then you would take off your jacket and give them your jacket also, right? Your best jacket, your best suit, you'd give that to them in addition to the, to the, short, the shirt. Uh, in Jesus' day, they didn't have shirts and suits. and They had two garments that they would wear, uh, an undergarment and an outer garment. And he's saying if someone asks you for your outer garment, give him that. But also take off your undergarment and give that to him. That leaves you absolutely naked, absolutely exposed. You can show your... Uh, poverty to the person that is taking um, advantage of you in court. Um, too often there's somebody in court that, that has a lot of money that's suing a person that has no money, and we think of them always as the, as the winner in the court. Uh, we'd like to think the court systems are always fair, and they usually are, but we know of cases, don't we, where the, the rich party has come out on top at the expense of somebody that just couldn't afford a good lawyer, just couldn't afford a good argument in court uh, to back up his point. The third thing he says is being forced to go a mile. He says if, if you're forced to go a mile by somebody, go too. And his reference there is to Roman soldiers. You see, there was a there was a, a law, or an understanding at least, that if a Roman soldier asked you, a Jewish person or a Gentile person, uh, to carry his equipment for him, you would carry that equipment one mile. One mile. That was all you were required to carry it. Then you could lay it down and go on your own. He's saying if somebody asks you to do that, go two miles with him. Why not go two miles, three miles, four miles? Don't just stop with what you have to do. Do more than you're expected. You see, Jesus' teaching isn't just good advice. We think of the Sermon on the Mount as a great way to live. That's good advice for us. No, Jesus' teaching was good news. It was the good news that God was sending to the world. In Jesus' teaching. Jesus didn't just say it. He actually did it, didn't he? He set the example for them and for us. He opened up the new way of being human. So that all who follow him can discover it. And do the same thing. He expects us to perform in a new way. Not the expected way, but perhaps the unexpected way. Think, think about these things, these examples. When they mocked him, what did he do? He didn't respond. He kept quiet. When they challenged his teachings, he told them quizzical and sometimes humorous stories that forced them to think outside the box. 
to think in an entirely different way than they had ever thought about this before. When they struck him, he took the pain, again, not saying anything. When they put the worst bit of Roman equipment on his back, that heavy crossbar on which he would be killed, what did he do? He carried it out of the city, and he carried it to the place of his own execution. When they nailed him to the cross, he prayed for them. Wow. Don't you see? Can't you see this? The Sermon on the Mount isn't about us. The Sermon on the Mount is about Jesus Christ himself. The Sermon on the Mount isn't about how to behave. It's about discovering the living God in the loving and dying Jesus and learning to reflect that love ourselves to other people into a world, if you will, into a world that so badly needs that kind of love. Let's go back and reread Matthew 5, 43 through 48, which says, this is Jesus speaking, of course, you have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In these verses right here, I think you see the core of the Christian ethic. This is the core of the entire Bible right here in these few verses that we just read. They teach us that the Christ follower, the one who claims to be a disciple of Jesus, those of us that belong to him and do as he says do, in other words, obey his commands, we Christ followers are to love others, not as people love a friend, but as God loves others. It's entirely different. We miss the whole point of being a Christ follower unless we see that the standard of this love is a love of which only God is capable. No one else is capable of that kind of love in and of themselves. We are to love like God in order to be sons of our Father in heaven. And this means that we are to love as God loves in order that we might be God-like, in order that we might be Christ-like, that we might have Christ-likeness in our conduct. And it will be seen, it will be noticed as different from the world around us. One of the values that we have as Renovation Vineyard Church is Christ-likeness. If you walk out this door on the wall, you'll see the values that are attached to our, to our church. And one of those is Christ-likeness. And it comes from this uh, scripture right here. You see, God's love is without any discrimination at all because it extends to the just and to the unjust alike. 
And therefore, our love is to be without any discrimination. We can't love some people and not love other people. For whatever reason, we're to love them all. And because God's love results in action, our love is to express itself in action, in the things that we do for others. If you want to, if you want to uh, change the life of a Muslim friend you have, don't take your Bible and try to beat him over the head with the Bible. It's not going to work. He doesn't believe it. Why should he? He's got his own book. If you want to change his life, do random acts of kindness and love for him. He can't understand that. There is no element of love in the Quran. Do love. Act out love. Let your action be love toward others. Kindness toward others. Particularly those that are so hard to love. We all have those in our lives, don't we? We are to love those who, by all human standards, are considered our enemies. Man, that's tough. That's easy for me to hear, to be here and spit it out of my mouth. It's hard to do. I know it's hard to do. That's one of those challenges that makes all of us think, ah, makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, he's stepping on my toes. You mean I've got to love him? After what he did to me, I've got to love him. So the big idea number one is the love to which the Christ follower is called exists entirely apart from the possibility of being loved back. Take the, take the, uh, the Muslim friend, for example. We're, we're friends, and I do something for him out of love. I mean, not, not as an ulterior motive, just out of love, just because... I love him. And I don't expect him to do something back for me or to pay me back or to give me something back in return, to return the favor. I don't expect anything in return without the possibility of being paid back. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Love your enemies. Love those who hate you. That's hard. That neighbor across the hedge. Some of you are laughing. Uh, you must have that neighbor across your hedge. That lady that walks her dog, and every time she walks her dog, it's your yard. And she never picks up after herself. <laughs> she lives in your neighborhood, too? Where have you seen that kind of love demonstrated? I, I made another interesting discovery as I was preparing for this that's relevant to this point I'm trying to make, I believe. Where have we seen that kind of love demonstrated? We see it only in Jesus Christ. And most particularly in Jesus Christ at the cross. That's the kind of love we're talking about. There's hardly a verse in the New Testament, if you'll check it out, 
that speaks about God's love without also speaking about the cross in that same context. It's amazing once you start looking for that, just how often it happens in the New Testament. Here's some examples. John 3.16, we all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Of course, at the cross. 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, that not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me stop right there just a minute. God, God knew that there was no way that we could ever pay for the sins that we've committed. No way. You and I can't do enough. We can't be good enough to pay for those sins. So... He sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I want you to hear me clearly on this. It's not just the fact of Jesus' suffering that makes God's love so wonderful. It's not just the fact of Jesus' suffering that makes God's love so wonderful. It's the fact that he suffered for sinners. He suffered for sinners, for you, for me, for those on whom God himself could not even stand to look because of their sins. Sins of the world. Jesus took all those sins on himself on the cross and he cried out, God, why have you left me alone here? While we were Still sinners. Every once in a while during the summer, we hear of a lifeguard here at the beach or along the coastline somewhere who's rescued a person from drowning. And every once in a while, we hear of a lifeguard who's lost his life trying to rescue somebody who was drowning. I want you to imagine yourself in, in his position. Would you give your life for another person? How about this? You're the handsome lifeguard. And this beautiful young lady is drowning. Would you risk your life for her? 
Would you? You're probably saying, well, George, I'm I'm not sure, of course. But but yes, I think I might. I, I certainly hope I would. See, many people would either do it or they would attempt to do it. That's easy. But now picture in your mind this. The most despicable person that you know, the one who has wronged you, the one who has cheated you, a pervert, a murderer, imagine him drowning. Would you give your life for his? It's not so easy to answer that question, is it? That one's a little bit tougher. But this begins to show you just just a brief glimpse, if you will, of the love of Jesus Christ for you and for me. And as we back up and get a running start with our the last scripture that we looked at, I'm going to take you one verse back. Romans 5, 7 and 8. We see this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God's, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners... Christ died for us. How many of you have seen a a movie titled To End All Wars? Anybody seen that? Great. Great. Came out in the year 2000. Uh, It wasn't released in a lot of theaters because it had a Christian theme to it. And... uh, Theaters just didn't. This was before Passion of the Christ came out, you know. So Christian uh, theaters didn't want to have showings of movies that were primarily a Christian theme or a heavy Christian theme like this one is. So they didn't have funding, and some of the some of the characters in the uh, stars in the film had to come together and uh, put up enough money that they could even get it made and released. It's based on the true story of the life of a fellow named Ernest Gordon, a Scotsman. A Scotsman with the Scotch Highland Argyles um, who fought in World War II. And it centers around an allied POW camp where they endured harsh treatment from their Japanese captors, as I said, during World War II while they were being forced to build a railroad through the jungles of Burma and Thailand. This railroad eventually went over a river named Kwai. Now, we're familiar with the bridge on the river Kwai. But these guys are the ones that built the railroad to take the Japanese from inland somewhere to where the bridge on the river Kwai was on their their assault toward uh, India. They wanted to take over all of India. And uh, that's what this railroad was about. There's three main characters. The commander, his name is Campbell, Commander Campbell. Not a Christian. A vengeance 
violence-filled guy, a hatred-filled guy. He couldn't stand his captors. He wanted to kill every one of them. All he thought about from the uh, time he woke up till the time he went to bed was escaping or killing uh, the, cap- the uh, uh, captors. Dusty Miller, who was the only Christian in this whole POW camp, Somehow or other, he had a Bible. I, I'm not real sure how that happened. He, he had been in the camp longer than most of the other folks, and he had probably gotten some privileges that others didn't have. And his Bible was one of those that, you know, uh, has pictures in it of, of Bible uh, happenings, events. And one of the pictures that uh, was open to so often was a picture of Jesus on the cross. And... So often he had opened it that even the Japanese captors had found that picture and thought, you know, this is kind of a... You could see that they were puzzled by what was happening in the picture. And then Ernest Gordon, this man who's an agnostic from Scotland, uh, a teacher, young teacher. He was a young lad at the time that he was captured and put into this uh, camp. Uh, The first clip that we're going to look up at here is Campbell, Commander Campbell, after he was caught trying to escape and he's facing execution. And the second clip, which we're going to follow right after that with, is one of Dusty Miller's favorite teachings that he would try to teach to the men in the POW camp was the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And he lived out his Sermon on the Mount in the POW camp with compassion and kindness and gentleness toward everyone, including his captors. And it didn't go unnoticed. And it was passed along to others as they face a moment of decision in the second clip. You want to run those two for us, please?
バーステーション An enemy location was also hit nearby. The wounded had abandoned their posts looking for help. Their arrival at our camp would compel us to make the most important decision of our lives. A decision that would defy the Bushido code of honor and shame. Captain Gordon, I forbid you to give comfort and aid to the enemy. Major, those are wounded, dying human beings. They're no harm to us. Help me get back to your own men.
Could someone please get me some water? <clears throat> Could someone please get me some water? was also hit nearby. The wounded had abandoned their po- Hmm. You see, God's love is measured by the fact that while we were still sinners and while we were unable to hear his word and while we were unable to receive his Holy Spirit and while we were unable to submit to his law and while we were unable to understand his teachings and while we were unable to even stop sinning, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's love. That's the full measure of God's love. That's the love to which we are called, you and me, as children of God. Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So what's this got to do with you? How can this apply to you? How can you apply this to your life? I think I have two action steps there on your sheet today. This week, talk to God. Talk to him. Take some time, just you and him. Just you and he. Him. You and him. Uh, to talk to him about his plan for you to love the unlovely around you. You know who those unlovely are. You know who they are. Listen to what he says. Don't do all the talking. 
shut up and listen to what he has to say to you. And then, because we show our love through action, do what he tells you to do. It may rock your world. It may turn your world upside down. But that's what Jesus intends. And then ask yourselves, what can I do this week to show God's love to one? Just one. To one whom I'm finding trouble loving. You know that person? Figure out how you can show love to that person this week. Father, I thank you for your word. Never ending. Never changing. Always true. The answer to all of our concerns. The answer to the way you want us to live our lives. Oh, God, I just pray that as we walk out of here today, we will be a more loving people. That we could become as Ernest Gordon in this clip we just saw. The man who later would go on to be the dean of chapel at Princeton University. Agnostic. Turned Christ follower. By acts of love. Displayed and demonstrated to him. By his friend. Dusty Miller. Halfway around the world. In a God forsaken. POW. Camp. If it can happen there, it can happen here. God, show us your way. In Jesus' name, amen.